Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall, the voice of Hera on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to the Living Force Podcast. Know the code. in the force. Welcome to the Living Force Podcast. There's always a bigger fish. A Utini production. I'll never turn to the dark side. Episode 12, Alphabet Squadron Roundtable, Part 1. Do or do not. There is no try. In this episode, the Utini crew unpacks the latest Star Wars novel, Alphabet Squadron, by Alexander Freed. Be mindful of the living force, young Padawan. And now, here are your hosts. Hello there. Dr. Corey Helton, Eric Eilerson, and Dr. Charles Hankel. Dude, I went to all three used bookstores that exist in this town that I'm in, and overall I got like six books. Nice. Hmm. It's not terrible, um, but I really want to get that uh, Rebecca Roanhorse book, Trail of Lightning, because she's writing Resistance Reborn, right? Right. Right. So, right. and sh- last night she just won this like sci-fi m- magazine's best novel of the year, period, oh, wow. for Trail of Lightning. Whoa, that's a big deal. So she's like astonishingly. <laughs> so I, 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 I want to read this before. That comes That's out. That's a great idea. Are yeah, just... regretfully, I actually just don't have a lot of sci-fi reading experience outside Me neither. of Star Wars. Fun, Me neither. Funny enough, up. like I've read, a, I've read a lot of other genres. I like a little bit of mystery stuff. I really like history and, and stuff regarding war and World War II. I read a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah. But like, I don't have virtually any experience reading reading sci-fi, which is weird. I don't love. This is, that sounds crazy. I don't know that I love sci-fi in general outside of Star Wars. Well, Star, well, Star Wars is fantasy. That's the, it's fantasy. Yeah, that's true. That's true. The only other major series I think I've read is like the Ender's Game series. I read like three or four yep. of those books from Orson Scott yeah, Card. But, I did too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's crazy because I feel like with genres, you know, I'm definitely a sci-fi guy amongst friends and stuff, but I always just go to the Star Wars section and yeah, it keeps that. But I'm going to try to get into more. Like I want to read... I want to read Rebecca Roanhorse's stuff. I want to read the Expanse books, or at least watch the show. I've heard great things yeah, about the same. Expanse books. Yeah, so that'll be kind of my mission. I got Chuck Wendig's new book coming on Tuesday. That is a, the reviews are like it's his uh, the stand essentially. Like it's his hmm. it's his epic. Interesting. And it's gotten really really excellent pre coverage. So interesting. Wow. We'll see how that is. I'm really tired today. <laughs> I feel like I gotta bump it up. I mean, I have. I'm back to the champagne of beers. Because well, there's your problem. Well, there's twelve of them for seven dollars. Is that Miller High Life? Yeah, it is. Okay, so we went to a. Um, since you guys made fun of me for drinking my lemonade natty lime the other day, we still haven't tried I it. Went, That's the thing. We don't know. We don't know its glory. Listen, I have. I have like really hyped this up to like everybody I know at this point. <laughs> and we went to a. Uh, we went to like a. Like a resident get together was the first time we got to meet all the upperclassmen and stuff mm-hmm. uh, on Friday, and of course I show up with my you know twenty four pack of <laughs> <laughs> lemonade and light. <laughs> I did, I swear I did, and like we ended up talking about beer and we got on this big huge kick because this one guy, this one one of the other residents, her husband is like really into brewing beer, which is awesome. Like he's done it like at a large scale before, and uh, so he was talking about brewing this other this other. Uh, the resident, her husband, like works at a big local like like tap shop where they have you know all the like a growler shop or something where they have all the beers and tap and mm-hmm. stuff. And we got into this huge, 
huge talk about beer and and like all the different kinds of beer that I've really liked to try and things like that. And they like they they just interrupt me. Like, We're gonna have to stop you right there because I'm not sure we can have this conversation while you're drinking Natty. <laughs> I was like, come on, dude. That's gonna come be on. me at our at our celebration after party. I'm gonna after like four hours where we're gonna be like eight drinks in. I'm gonna be like. Get this man a natty light. Oh, wait, sorry. You only have beer here? That won't do it. Get this man a natty light. It doesn't taste anything like natty light, and I cannot believe that I would even purchase something like with the label of natty light on it. It just t- it tastes like a Mike's hard but more beer flavor lemonade stuff. Yeah. It's you good. Know, I mean, it's, it's good. I respect your commitment to something that you enjoy screw what anyone else thinks if you like it you like it <laughs> thank the maker exactly you know is what it? speaking of screwing what everyone else thinks this is episode 12 of the living force podcast <laughs> we're out of movies yep we so is this dead officially we? dead because last week was our solo one uh we got some tv yep. shows we can use all right, the Clone oh Wars. <laughs> Epi- season one, season- episode one of the Clone Wars. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna be here for a while. All so, all right, Matt, your your audio has to be that specific. <laughs> don't do that. Don't don't make him do that. That's terrible. Uh, but with me on this extremely specific audio podcast are none other than my glorious friends, Doctor Corey Helton. Hello, 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 and Doctor Charles Hankel. Hey, it's good to be back. All right, and I am Eric Eilerson. Now, Charles, your doctor name is going to get extremely important tomorrow because tomorrow, our fair listeners, is Charles's first official day of doctoring. Yep. How are you feeling, mm. man? <clears throat> I'm trying not to have an active panic attack on air right now. Um, <laughs> nervous, excited, all the terrifying emotions all mixed up into one, but it'll be fine. It'll be fine, it's I be- think. I'm fine. I'm fine. How are you guys? How long do you have before your first day? Uh, I don't start until July 17th is my first day, and I start on like outpatient pediatrics. So we have to I have to deal with some. Um, in the mornings, we see all the babies that have recently been born. Do those, uh, you know, they do those exams, the newborn exams, and I get to do some circumcisions and stuff like that. Like I'll start every day with that. <laughs> yeah, then, with your coffee. That sounds great. Coffee yes, and circumcisions. Yes, you know. <laughs> Coffee and circumcisions. <laughs> that could be another podcast we could start. That sounds great. Um, I'm going to pass on that one. <laughs> yeah. So uh, after we do the newborn stuff, then we go off and do the outpatient pediatric stuff, which is a lot of well well child visits and things like that. Like, you know, they come in at six months to make sure they're meeting their milestones and stuff. So it's like much more low stress than I think what Charles is having to start with. I'm on, so I'm on I'm inpatient <laughs> medicine, so it's all adults. But like I could literally walk in and someone just codes and I'm doing compressions like immediately. Like I have no idea yeah, what could happen. Man. Like to put this in perspective, this week I start tech rehearsals, so I have to be sure I'm standing on the right place where a light is on <laughs> on the taped eggs <laughs> like so i respect your stress charles but be in my shoes for a second those lights are hot you know <laughs> those lights hot. are hot we might have to go do it again if i step in the wrong space and then where will we be <laughs> oh my gosh what would you do uh but this week other than all of our stress i'm very excited gentlemen because we are finally going to be diving in Alphabet Squadron, the latest canon release by Del Rey, uh, written by Alexander Freed. But before we get into all of that, a couple bits of business. We got a new review. Guys on Apple Podcasts from Rural Farm Boy. Uh, Big Mm. name in Star Wars Twitter. Super psyched that we got this review. I thought I would read it aloud for you guys. 
because Rural Farm Boy writes in a way that has a, a very specific kind of sound to it, and I'm going to do this as Rail Avaros. So, without further ado, <laughs> the latest review of the Living Force podcast by Jedi Master Knight Padawan Rail Avaros. <clears throat> a new Star Wars show. These fellas cover all things Star Wars, from legends to the current canon stories. Sometimes silliness ensues, but it's always good fun. Recommended listening by me, Rural Farm Boy. Wow. So thank you for that five-star review, Bravo. Rural Farm Boy. Uh, and if you would like your review read on this show, in whatever dialect you please, go ahead, leave us those reviews and five-star ratings on Apple, Google, wherever you find our podcast. Now, one more quick bit of business, guys. Two episodes ago, we had our Starship Spectacular, and we had a little contest. We each made up some Starship Squadrons. I was very proud of at least mine. Some mistakes were made. It's fine. But we decided to put up a poll for uh, you, our wonderful listeners, on which one of us made up the best squadron. Now, to recap, I had Molotov Squadron, Charles had Saber Squadron, Corey had Victory Squadron, excuse me, and Dylan, a listener of ours, Dylan Sasser, had Errant Squadron. And at the time of recording, gentlemen, would you like to know the results of the poll? Yes. Yes. All right. Give it to us. In third place, we have a tie with Dylan's Errant Squadron and Corey's Victory Squadron both getting 14% of the vote. Boo. In second place, we have my Molotov Squadron with 29%, which means our winner is Charles with Saber Squadron with 43% of the vote. Saber. I have so many people I'd like to thank, but first and foremost, Corin Horn um, for <laughs> oh my his God. contribution Get to the squadron. Crap out of easily, here. easily the reason why uh, I was able to pull this off. And um, also uh, Poe as as Saber Five. He did a great job in the back God. of the squadron. Saber Five, what a bunch of crap! <laughs> uh, Por- it's Porkins. It's Porkins' fault. I knew he would let me down. He did. It's literally his purpose. Don't put him in there. I, it is. If you missed our what a mistake! If you missed our extensive discussion about these squadrons, and you want to know why we're talking so much about Cornhorn and Porkins, go check out episode nine of our podcast where we went down all of our fan-made squads. Now we did get two more. Uh, I want to go through really quick after that episode. Andrew Bell, loyal listener, great guy, made up Legacy Squadron, and these were his. I want your guys' real-time reactions. His leader was none other. Then Saber Squadron star, Cornhorn. I approve. <laughs> uh, Legacy 2 was Jaina Solo. Shout out to Corey. Legacy 3 was Aiden Versio. Legacy 4 was Adi Gallia. Mm. And Legacy 5 was Luke Skywalker. So I will take that. I'll accept that. Uh, and then Brent Sweeting, another uh, Discord star and Utini Cantina star, made up his oh. own. He's got Harrison Dula as a leader, which I appreciate, who is leading Luke, Han, Wedge, and Poe in the back, which is, again, very disappointing, Brent. I'm not supportive of this. <laughs> uh, but then he did throw in Nora Wexley as well. So super appreciate up on there. So thank you to Brent, to Andrew, to Dylan, to everyone that has their own squadrons in their hearts for that. And Charles, <sighs> congratulations. Thank well you very much. Molotro Squadron will ride again. <laughs> but you know what, guys? We're not here to talk about our masterful yet somehow inferior squadrons. We are here to talk about the newest, the most magnificent, the Will Lark-driven 
Alphabet Squadron. And if you have listened to these kept shows before that we did on Master and Apprentice and on Dooku Jedi Lost, you know this is the time in the show where we throw it to Charles because Charles goes through every single novel and writes pages of notes with questions, with ideas, with little things he picks out. And Corey and I just get to relax and kind of comment on it. So without further ado, Charles, take us away, man. Alphabet Squadron. So Alexander Freed has officially written the latest installment in the canon Star Wars timeline. And this is the story he told. Now, Alphabet Squadron basically (laughs) follows a group of misfit pilots who are thrown together by New Republic intelligence. And they are tasked with the mission to take down one of the premier surviving wings in the Imperial military, Shadow Wing. So that's kind of the basic synopsis that we're working off of. If you have not read Alphabet Squadron or listened to it, if you're doing the audiobook, go ahead and stop listening now because this is going to get very, very spoiler heavy. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. Let's start this off with some plot points. Now, admittedly, you guys have heard us say this before. This book is a little bit lighter on plot and a little bit heavier on character development. So I just want to touch on a few of the new things that we kind of learned from this book. And the first thing is Trader's Remorse. So Trader's Remorse was essentially a community of ex-imperials who were trying to be pardoned by the new republic and then they would supposedly be welcomed into the military of the new republic once they were deemed appropriate for service so what did you guys think about that community as we saw it and what did you think about the idea of using ex-imperials to continue the rule of the galaxy i thought it was interesting i like i like the idea of rehabilitation because i think that really identifies with the rebellions kind of ideals right like we they used han solo a smuggler as a general and they were really big into we don't care about your past as long as you're helping us now kind of deal so i like the idea that they set up this place where people could get out of the brainwashing as it were and hopefully be sent back into society and honestly man for the last 30 years these people have been running the business of the galaxy albeit in a kind of a horrible way but their knowledge can't just be thrown away you know what i mean so are you just going to throw away all these people that have these skill sets? Absolutely not. I liked it. I thought it was a good idea. I think we stayed there for the appropriate amount of time. I'm glad it mm-hmm. wasn't a whole book about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I enjoyed it. Corey, what about you? Um, I really liked that the name was awesome. Traders yeah. Remorse yeah. is really cool. Like They didn't really beat around the bush with like what the purpose of that was at all. They're like, listen, this is for sort of ex-cons kind of thing is the vibe that I got. Uh, which was really, really interesting. I, I Something I really liked about this entire theme of Traitor's Remorse is that they were not, they were not like, like super welcoming of ex-Imperials. Like there was a very sort of gritty looking through everything from squinty little eyes, yeah. as I like to say a lot of time, like at the Imperials, which that has always really kind of bothered me about Star Wars that we kind of get as a recurring theme is the whole, the whole theme of redemption in Star Wars is huge. You see it in the Clone Wars, you see it in the films. We see an invader and everyone suddenly everyone's sins are suddenly forgiven because they're and they defect to the Rebel Alliance, they defect to the Republic, whatever whoever they defect to, when they stop being a bad guy and they start being a good guy. That's a really big theme with uh I think it's in the Legacy series. You guys didn't know anything about the plot with Tahiri. Mm-hmm. She was like a she was like somebody that helped out uh Jason and was sort of a servant of his when he was an evil, you know, Sith Lord, Jason Solo, mm-hmm. and he became Darth Cadus in Legends, and like 
there was a lot of really interesting discussion legacy about in the legacy series about that because she like came back to the Republic, came back to the Jedi and was really repent, repent. What's the word? Repentance, repentful. I don't know. <laughs> she had, she felt she was bad. sorry. <laughs> yeah. She felt real bad about everything that she had done and like tried to sort of get back in with the Jedi and the Senate wanted to like persecute her and they locked mm-hmm. her in prison and the Jedi, like I think bust her out at one point. It's crazy. So all this stuff is, that was one of my favorite sort of subplots in, in uh, the legacy series, because it's like, listen, you can do bad things and then have to face consequences yeah. like mm-hmm. for those bad things, which I hope, you know, personally, one of my things I'm, I'm looking, I would like to see in episode nine is that Jason, or uh, Jason, I almost said Jason, mm-hmm. that Kylo Ren is just not totally redeemed. Like, I think we'll see some theme of redemption uh, out of his character, mm-hmm. but I don't want him to just like make the right decision and all is forgiven because he's done some really bad stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. I think that's the thing uh, about Vader, too, is, you know, he gets redeemed. Luke knows that. Right. But nobody else no, does. Because they're like, okay, you I mean, still. And redeemed. Like, huh? Redeemed. I mean, yeah. I don't know. He still sort of saved him for selfish reasons and stuff. So I, I don't know. Like, it's I, I like that theme in this book early on, though. It's like, hey, these are these are Imperials like that have done some really bad stuff. This you know early rebellion. We even see that in in the Rebels TV show. Early rebellion, like they welcome defectors mm-hmm. and stuff. But now it's like, do we want the defectors this late? Because we've been fighting openly yeah. in in war for a while now. Well, and so. I love that point of it too. I think Charles, you're going to get here in a second that Erica Quell looked down on people as the days went as the days went on. Because mm-hmm. if you defected early. Then it's like, okay, you saw Alderaan and you're like, that's terrible. So I'm going to leave. But the the amount of people that defected later and later and later, eventually you get to a point where it's like, you're not defecting because you don't believe in this. You're defecting because you think you'll get in trouble if you don't. So right. you're really just kind of a piece of shit and you're <laughs> trying to save your own skin. Yeah. So I, I, I loved the, all those little idiosyncrasies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's. I think it was kind of an unfortunate necessity because if you think about how large the empire was and how large this galaxy is that they're trying to rule, like you can't just turn all of those people away. But it kind of leaves the door open for there to be an imperial remnant operating within the New Republic too, right? Like, I mean, I think we might see that pop up later on, especially since there's already an intelligence aspect to this whole series, but. Guys, speaking of traitor's remorse, I have some remorse of my own because I skipped how we should really open all of these (laughs) roundtable discussions, which is with our opening rating of the book on a 1 to 10 scale. So let's go ahead and knock that out now, and then we will continue with these plot points. So, Corey, 1 to 10, what would you rate the book? I haven't given this enough thought. Come back to me. Eric, you go first. All right. uh, I'm going to go... 9.5. 9.5. Wow. I loved this book. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it a, I'll give it a 6.5. Okay. And I gave, I gave it an 8. I feel like we're kind of okay. all sitting about where we normally do. I mean, Corey and Eric That's sometimes. That's mathematically in the middle of 6.5 and 9.5. <laughs> Wow! Yeah, it's 1.5 I mean, to either side. I'm like the I'm like the <laughs> guy that's always sitting the fence, and then Corey and Eric are mm-hmm. on one end of the spectrum or the other. So perfect. Yes. Yeah. Well, this is okay. If we think back to our our, our squadron episode where Eric was the A wing and I was the X wing, and you were the Y wing, I think that fits pretty perfectly. <laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> the X wing and Y or an A wing pilots are always like giving each other crap about how their ship is superior. So that's pretty, 
pretty appropriate. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. I love that we disagree with each other frequently on the show because it, it makes it more interesting, I think. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I'm out for blood. So, Charles, continue. <laughs> yeah, so... So, Eric, you touched on that there was a delineation between the people who left early on or or who defected from the Empire early on versus those who left later. And one big point in particular that they used to show maybe how awful these people were that were leaving the Empire was whether they left before or after Operation Cinder specifically. Um, so let's let's talk about Operation Cinder because it was featured pretty heavily in this book. We heard a lot about it. We learned more about it. We heard about more planets that were affected. But what did you guys learn about Operation Cinder in this book, if anything? So Operation Cinder is very interesting to me because in my opinion, Operation Cinder is like it should have the sort of What's the word I'm looking for? It should have sort of the the power, the but the devastating att- effects. The yes, the attention. I think that like the destruction of Alderaan or mm-hmm. like the Death Star, the, the destruction of the Death Star has. But to me, for some reason in canon, it just doesn't feel like a big deal. And I I, I don't know why that is. I think it might be because of the way it was introduced in um in the uh, in the Battlefront 2 campaign it, it just felt sort of suddenly dumped on us we we didn't really have a lot of a lot of build up to operation cinder there was no talk of it before and i think this is from legends also isn't it isn't cinder from legends i don't from what, from what I remember, I think, I, I think the first time okay, it was mentioned... the Messengers. The Messengers are from yeah, Legends. Yeah, because but... Cinder, I, be, I actually believe, was first mentioned in Aftermath. Was it? Um, was it made a big deal in the Aftermath well, yeah, series? Yeah, because Aftermath was right... It was the same year as the Battlefront 2 came out, but it was like beginning of the mm-hmm. year. They mentioned, I believe, Cinder in there. And then we got to it actually seemed, see it, it in just, Battlefront. <clears throat> it just seems like every... Even though we've now had some very directly involved people in in Operation Cinder, we've seen them in canon. I still doesn't. I just still don't feel like we've actually gotten like what Operation Cinder is. Like it seems to be everything looking at it is looking at it like from the side. I feel like mm-hmm. whereas the destruction of Alderaan is like all in your face. We see it happen directly in the film. We see Tarkin give the order for it, and I don't know why it, just, it doesn't feel like it has like the the power, the attention that that it should have. I guess. Do you understand what I'm saying at yeah. all? Is that, is yeah. that my being crazy yeah, here? Yeah, I, I do. And I think that it, it, it speaks to human psychology in a way, right? Because like one death is a tragedy. 10,000 deaths are a number kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I think Alderaan was destroyed. We're like, that was Alderaan. That we, we see it. We know the moment it happened. Whereas Cinder is a bunch of planets at once, kind of in various different ways. It was more successful on some planets than others. So it's a little less specific. Um. Mm-hmm. Because I agree, for for me, I think Alderaan still hits me deeper, but what I liked that this book did was showcase the effect of Operation Cinder through Erica, through her psychology, through how much maybe, being around maybe it that's broke what, her. What we're, maybe that's what we're missing a little bit, is we haven't seen the other side of it yet. Like We, we, haven't, we haven't seen, like, like, other than the glimpse that we got into in the Battlefront 2 campaign, we haven't seen like what it was like to live on a planet that Operation Cinder was going Yeah, through. like a person that escaped Cinder on their own planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, maybe that's I think, what I'm missing. I don't know. It, yeah, it's just I understand something that. that is yeah. weird. I think also it's that a lot of what we've seen about Cinder is supposedly how it was undermined, right? Because we saw, yeah. like, we saw Aiden Versio kind of stop it from happening on Vardos. 
Um, we heard about at least Quell saying early on in the novel that she was trying to stop what was happening on Necronis. Uh, I think they also said that wasn't Abednedo one of the planets mm-hmm. that was affected and they they yeah, stopped it as well. So like it doesn't have the same devastating effect that of of seeing Alderaan blow into a million pieces right. and there's yeah. nothing you can do about that. It's yeah, like that quickly, yeah. Yeah. Like, there's there's no escaping from a death star, there's no escaping from a right. um from like a, a Hosnian Prime scenario like right. You're done. It's in a moment, whereas Cinder is more yeah. of a slower process. And I think also the purposes are different because I think we... That was, I was like, I'll interrupt you for, for a second. It. I was actually going to ask ask about that is because I, maybe that's part of my problem too is it still does not seem like there's a point to Cinder. And maybe that is the point is that there's not a point. It was just mm-hmm. stupid destruction because the Emperor, we, like he put it... But why? Why did he do that? That makes no tactical we're gonna logical unpack sense that from any... A lot. We're going to unpack that a Please, lot. Because they talk, uh, I, a lot I'm of, ready to talk about that. I've been dying to talk about that forever. A lot of people in this book offered opinions on why uh, it happened, mm-hmm. and they had different thoughts about it. So I don't think there actually is a yeah. clear answer yet. I think you're right. And mm-hmm. maybe yeah. it will have more weight when we get that clear answer, which I assume we will eventually. Yeah, because my, my yeah. thought is I take I combine this and Aftermath together to kind of figure out what I think is happening. Because I think some of it does possibly play into Episode nine. With Palpatine coming back in the yeah. eventual rise, because in Aftermath, there's with the whole Gallius Rex plot, I think there's definitely this idea that Cinder is created to separate the extraordinarily loyal from the, eh, the Emperor's dead, we don't really care about this anymore. So there's definitely that. And there's also a point where Palpatine is so kind of psychotic in his own way that if I die, then you all failed to protect me. So burn away this empire because it clearly didn't work and something stronger must come in its place. It's the Sith mentality. It's the Bane mentality that if I, if I die it's because I was too weak to survive. So Cinder is kind of like the insurance of, well, this empire didn't live up to its potential. So it must burn both as punishment and to figure out who is actually strong enough to survive it, to create what then becomes the first order. Mm hmm. Right, which I was actually gonna, I was actually gonna bring that up too. Is is like we've seen the beginnings of the first. Well, we've seen some glimpse into the early first order stuff in the in the Claudia Gray Bloodline novel. Mm-hmm. Like it alludes to the first order a little bit in that book, and like they were figuring that out. I'm ready to see the dots connected. Like, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping that after we get episode nine, they won't be so afraid to kind of go that route. Oh yeah, in the books. I because yeah. like it'll open it up. Like, I, 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 yeah, I, I really hope we get that eventually, and this is not just kind of left dead and left alone. Mm-hmm. Like, I hope we get to see how how the people that stayed with the Empire after Cinder become the First Order, if that's even what happens. Yeah, I mean, you know, we don't we don't actually know that that's what happens. True, so. we get two more of these books though, at least that's in the true. next two years. So I'm 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 definitely thinking that the the release timeline is anything but accidental. Sure. Okay, so let's talk just a little bit about the overall format of this story because. It was the very classic kind of storyline of building a team and you get all of these individuals from different backgrounds and you throw them together and they have some big task that they have to complete and it seems like there's no way they're going to do it, but gosh darn it, they pulled it off. How did that sit with you guys? How did this compare to maybe other Star Wars books that follow a similar format or maybe even stories that aren't in the Star Wars universe? I wrote about this a bit in my review, which is on utini.com right now. Slight plug for that. That's one of my favorite tropes is the people from different backgrounds coming together to form a squadron that becomes a family. And, you know, 
it, it, it's a very common sci-fi trope, but I love the way Free did it in here because each of them are coming from a unique background or perspective, yet they all have that one thing in common where they're the last survivor of their squadron, right? So people united by tragedy is something I really love, but I do also love that they weren't bogged down by it. Like, we didn't get a book full of just sad people with death wishes. We got people that were pissed about things that happened and that didn't always get along. I mean, like, those early missions, the early simulator missions kind of got a little janky, and then their first mission they went on, they obviously failed. Things like that. I love that learning curve. But they didn't just decide, am I going to leave the squadron? Am I going to abandon this cause? That was never really a question. They were always in it. And mm-hmm. I love that because I'm, I don't like books with incompetent, wishy-washy people. Mm-hmm. Because I'm like, I'm reading your story. Like, why should I care if you don't kind of thing? And I never questioned that they cared about what they were doing. And at the end, when they really come together as a squadron... I think that was well earned over the over the course of the book. Yeah, I I will kind of have some similar comments in some ways to you, Eric. Like I I generally like books that sort of assemble a team. We get to see a, a cool thing like Suicide Squad. Like everybody hated that movie, but I really liked Suicide Suicide. That's what it was called, right? Yeah, yeah Suicide Squad. I had a brain fart for a second there. Yeah, I mean, I like seeing the teams come together and do stuff. That's what happens in the Rogue Squadron books too, and it's good. And yep. I will say though, I found it in Alphabet Squadron. I found it a bit tedious. Like it, it really took a very, very long time for a book to be called Alphabet Squadron to be about like the squadron coming together. It took almost three quarters of the way through the book before that even happened. And that took a very, very long time, in my opinion. Like you guys heard me mention before that I started the book over because like I was just not getting it and I was really having trouble keeping all the characters straight and like I thought it was a little unnecessary to to get the extensive history of every single character that we got. I mean, very well could have been done in the first quarter of the book that like, boom, boom, mission failure, squadrons are dead. You know, let's assemble them and get on with the mission. Like maybe it was necessary to build up the 204th a little bit. It was the 204th. Yeah, right? 204th. Yeah, it was a little bit necessary to build up the the 204th is the uh, Shadow Wing. That's their formal name. Sorry. Took a, it took a little bit to maybe build the story, but it didn't feel powerful to me. Like it mm. didn't feel like like everybody's very motivated by revenge. I think that was what was trying to be built up a little bit because everybody had their own little run in with the with the two hundred and fourth. But like I didn't feel it. It didn't feel like like everyone's run in was significant to me. Like mm. so, you think they, they, they think took too much were, time with 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 events they didn't have payoff. Ex- yes, exactly. Like I think if you wanted to properly. You know, I think the attempt was to, you know, develop the relationships with Will um, with his previous squadron mates, right? Mm-hmm. But they killed him off so fast; it's almost hard to to build enough character development to give Will a a, a good. I just lost my best friend story. You know, oh, does that make sense oh, at all? Yeah. So I, I want to I want to jump on that because that's something that I I felt extensively in in kind of an opposite way because I think that. What you're talking about with the squad coming together quicker is definitely what happens in the Rogue Squadron books. I'm about 160 pages in to the first Rogue Squadron book, which is great. Thank you guys for that recommendation. But one of the issues I'm having with it is I'm constantly flipping back to the beginning to see the names of the people and what species they are. Yeah. Because they came together so quickly that I didn't have a chance to latch on to what made them different. Whereas in this book, again, for me... I loved having more time with them individually because once Alphabet Squadron was formed, I already kind of had a feeling how Nath was going to interact 
with Chas and how Will was going to react to Kairos because I had spent so much time with him individually. Now, when you talk about um, Riot Squadron and Hound Squadron, how we met them for a bit and then they died, met them for a bit and then they died. That was one of the most heartbreaking parts of the book for me because I, as a reader, I felt like, oh, this could be my friend. And before I even get that level of satisfaction, it's ripped away, which I think is one of the most, what I assume is accurate descriptions of war is when you go to war, you think you're making the best friend. You're going to be in this war for a year and then tomorrow they're dead. And I'm like, oh, we have three books. So I'm sure some of these people will, and then they're gone the next page. And I thought that was a really harsh yet kind of sobering um, way to introduce (laughs) Will and Chas was by kind of tricking us in that way. Charles, any thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I actually appreciated it and it's mostly for something that Eric was saying where you kind of already have a good idea about the character, because if you start off a book and you just throw all these characters together and the reader knows nothing about them, I think you do lose I don't an appreciate you lose an appreciation for the individuals because you have no idea what to sure. expect from them until you eventually get that one chapter where they tell like their backstory, right? And and yeah. now you know kind of what to expect. But I liked going in sure. and feeling like I already knew each character individually so that I could see how they would interact as a squad. Yeah. And I think the death point that you made, Eric, is really good as well because these type of books can't shy away from that. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that you you trivialize their their struggle if you do that, and Rogue Squadron actually does a really good job of of that as well. Or the entire X Wing series, they don't shy away from that. But what I hope is that this doesn't turn out to be one of those things where all of these ancillary characters are dying, and then like the team, just no one ever really you know is affected. Yeah. That's what I don't right. want. It y- gives yeah. you that weird like, untouchable main characters is frustrating. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So and I and I and I think I agree. And obviously, as we said before, if you're already this far in, and you don't know this is a very spoiler filled episode. Seriously, seriously, there's spoilers um, <laughs> because they all the main characters in the squadron do survive the book. Yeah, I think right. that with this being, if this hadn't been a trilogy, I don't think that would have been the case. Yeah, I'm just I'm really picky about character development. I think in movies and mm-hmm. and, and TV shows and books and like there's a there's a really great review of sort of the additions to Star Wars that is somewhere I can't remember if it's a Red Letter Media review or who it is that does it on YouTube. But there's a great uh, great review where they talk about the things they added to A New Hope. Like the in with you know every time they they released those through the nineties and early two thousands they kept adding digital stuff yes. right and that's a lot frustrated a lot of fans for some justified reasons some unjustified reasons like who cares that it's got Hayden Christensen as Anakin Force goes right. to do that's fine okay but uh, one of the big things that like they added that a lot of people had a lot of frustration with is that scene where like Han Solo goes out to the Falcon after meeting our main characters in the cantina and he goes out to the Falcon and Jabba's waiting for him. And they like have that little brief discussion. He like steps on his tail as he walks over. You guys know what I'm yeah, talking yeah. about. Yeah, but it still there. doesn't look good when he steps over no, the tail. Looks, so, yes. so it looks, it looks bad. And like the big criticism that, it, that, that, that this reviewer had, I'm pretty sure it was red letter media is like, we didn't need that at all for Han Solo's character uh-huh. development because I think that's why they added it. I think there were some comments and some of the behind the scenes that that's why they added it. That Greedo it. scene and it just, is all you needed. Yeah, it just 
Exactly, exactly. And the thing that he says is he says, we see Han Solo murder Greedo in cold blood and then flip a coin to the bartender. Like, that's all you need to know about Han Solo, that he tells you exactly what type of person he is. And we don't need to see that he owes debts to a gangster and the gangster wants him. He's full of empty promises. We didn't need to see all that. Yeah, yeah, but but, but, but Corey, the thing with with Han Solo is that was that he 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 shouldn't be the guy that shoots in cold blood because he's a hero to the kids. So, all right, so stop we, it. That's way too good of an that impression. He should, with George <laughs> that he should that Greedo should shoot first, and then you had to, to figure out why he was being a bad guy. Yeah, yeah, okay, it's a kid movie. I get it, blah blah. blah. But still, I, I, I'm just like you know. So I'm picky about character development. I think that Star Wars has a really bad history of like giving us too much character development. Like that was one of the big criticisms of the prequels. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. We didn't need to see little boy Anakin. You know, like whatever. I, I'm just saying that, you know, personally, it irked me. It has a lot to do with why I give the book a, such a low rating, I think, is, yeah, is that's fair. I, I found it at TD, at times I found the book tedious, which there are a couple books in Star Wars that have done that for me. So, yeah. you know, it's it's no shame to the author or to the book itself. It's just like some everybody has different forms of storytelling. And, you know, that's the joy of all this is we can all have different. Oh, yeah. And, and I think enjoy. that that's one of the big realizations that i had with this book about can new canon in general versus legends legends is a lot more about the overarching plots and the how everything affects the galaxy as a whole and how the mythology is crafted whereas mm-hmm. a lot of these new canon stories we're getting are way more character heavy are way more like this is how it affects this person like all the claudia gray stuff i mean bloodline leia prince of alderaan are just to kind of show us how leia gets through these challenges and yes some stuff affects the the outward um machinations of the galaxy but for the most part like those books your master and apprentices all that stuff is way more character driven and while i mean right i think that the tediousness can be writing style like you're saying you love master and apprentice and this one didn't do it for you mm-hmm. so, but nonetheless i like a lot of fans that loved that kind of vastness and that kind of mile a minute pace of the legends books right. are finding these ones a little more tedious for sure yeah, Whereas, so, shoot it like heroin into my veins, this character development, just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> and Han shot first. That was George Lucas earlier. That was not me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've talked about the squadron as a whole. But again, this book really was very character driven. So I want to go ahead and hop into the character section of this review. So let's talk about each member of the team individually. It's probably no surprise. I want to start off with talking about Eureka Quell. So... Quell was basically the ex-Imperial, as we said, who we first meet in the very beginning in Traitor's Remorse. And according to Quell, her background is maybe not entirely uh, sympathetic to the Imperials. So she claims that she had always planned to desert the Empire um, and join the Rebellion thanks to one of her childhood friends who said it was the most worthwhile thing you could do with your life. But after she joined the Empire, she kind of didn't think it was so bad and she didn't want to abandon the colleagues that she'd made in shadowing. And so she decided to stay. Now I thought that was actually a pretty interesting take to just have her say this right up front. Like, yeah, it really wasn't so bad. You know, the empire was fine. So that's why I hung around. Did that make you not like her or or dislike her right from the get go? Or did you kind of sympathize with what she was saying? I didn't like it. I I thought it made her, I thought it made her, made her seem weak, in my opinion. Like it made her morals seem questionable yeah. in the very beginning. Like, like if she's not, which seems to be a recurring theme of this entire book, is that is it? By the way, is it is it Erica or Erica? Erica. Eric, what is the the audiobook says? Erica. Erica. 
Erica. Erica? Yeah, like E-E-R-I-C-A. Okay, Erica. Erica Interesting. Well. I, I also said Erica, like, like in my head, Charles. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I found it I found it morally questioning. I mean, I found her moral questioning a little frustrating. Like, as a leader of the entire squadron, uh, I agreed with Aiden and her his sort of criticism of maybe she's not the right choice because she seems to be all over the place ethically, so... Yeah, I I I don't know if I had a strong opinion at the beginning regarding that with her. Um I I noted I thought it was interesting that she was very much like, yeah, I wanted to be a rebel when I entered, which is I think a thing we haven't really seen before of someone saying I I wanted to go here for flight training and then become a rebel. I guess the closest we get is Solo where he's like I want to go get the flight training and then go back to Corellia. Or Luke, Luke wanted to go to the Imperial Academy also. Oh right, 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 right. Because his friends, his friends have already gone, and right. that's that's more like just trying to join the military to get the heck out of your hometown, you know, <laughs> Boone County, Nebraska. Exactly. So. But I found it interesting that she was pretty upfront about it. Now, her staying in, I guess my gut tells me I couldn't blame her a ton because with books like Lost Stars, especially when we got to see the kind of inner workings of the academy and how a lot of them are just regular people that are caught up in this horrible thing. I get why she would stay because she didn't want to kill her friends and the rebellion was like horrible and she was young and all those kind of things. But I do think it definitely put her on unshaky moral ground. And to be perfectly frank, she's not one of my favorite characters in the squadron. Like, again, mm-hmm. I love this book. I love this squad. Me either. She's my least either, favorite. Man. Yeah, but I think, too. but I think in acting terms, right, she's a straight man. Like as, like as an actor, if I'm auditioning for a comedy, right, I want to be, some of the crazy people that come into the main character's life because that's where the fun is. That's who the audience remembers. Whereas the person in the center of it kind of just has to be an exposition factory that holds it down. That like I am, I am the level. So I can't be as rough as Nath and I can't be as optimistic as Will. I can't be as badass as Kairos and I can't be as kind of like off the rails, cool punk as Chas. I, Erica kind of just has to be the center because yeah, we always need sense. that. She's like the Nora Wexley. Like we always need to be able to come back to this even keel. Yeah, but e- even then, she doesn't do that very well. Like, Keep the even keel. Yeah, I don't think she does. Personally, I don't know if I, at the beginning. I think definitely not because I think she's one of the things I like that Freed does is that she treats them like Imperials, and that is yeah. very stark. And it's a thing I don't think I could have ex- expressed before reading this book. The difference. Um, there was a quote that mm. I wrote down that I really loved in the book that said the Imperial valued squadrons and the rebels valued pilots. And I think yeah. that was a super interesting thing to see Erica switch of like, even though she was leaving because operation cinder was so horrific, she says she still couldn't get rid of that programming. So right. I'm going to be the Imperial pilot that is definitely not caring about the individual needs of my squadron until the end of the book, uh, which I know we'll get to in a little bit. So, yeah, I think honestly the, the moral ambiguity is sort of the biggest issue with it, Corey, like you were saying. I, the thing that struck me the most was that she wanted to join the rebellion because her friend said it was a good thing to do. Like, it wasn't because she believed it was a good thing mm-hmm. to do. She just no. planned this for her future <laughs> life because someone she likes said it was a good idea. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, that's just like, that's not, she would never have been committed to that cause. It, it really doesn't yeah. sound like to me. So that, that kind of bothered interesting- me. Yeah, I I agree. I think that's an interesting thing about her character is that this whole book, she's kind of, she's really good at following orders. She's really good at being like, But she has to be told what to do. 
Yeah. Like, yeah. And it, it openly said that multiple times. Like she was like, oh yeah, I guess I'll kill all these people because I'm a rebel now. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. She didn't even feel that bad about like fighting the Imperials. Like it, oh, I, I think he, she did. He tried. Well, I think Freed tried, like he definitely put in some, some sentences and whatnot and uh, some dialogue and whatnot about how she felt like a little bit sick about it or whatever, but she, she did it. Like she had no problem actually pulling the trigger and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Well, I think that's one of the things that Hera sees in her, frankly, is, is, I, I think her and Hera's relationship is interesting because Hera's the one who tells Aiden, like, Quell is going to lead. And she's the one that puts her up for it. And I think Hera sees in her a person that has good instincts and has been, bot- like, pushing them down her entire life. And I think the Rebellion is the first place, or the, you know, burgeoning New Republic is the first place where she can actually open up a little more and kind of start to let her actual feelings drive her. Mm-hmm. Which is what I think we start to get at the end of this book, and I think the next two books. I mean, got her first, her first kind of conversation she's going to have with with Keys whenever that happens is going to be a real test of that because she's going to have to do her new family versus her old family, and I think that we're going to see her evolve into this person that trusts her feelings but is always kind of fighting that imperial programming. Yeah. So. I mean, on that note, uh, given Quell's entire background, she is constantly trying to prove herself throughout this book. Mm-hmm. Um, but her imperial ties are really strong, and she often is thinking like pretty fondly back on her time with Major Keys and Shadowing, and and some of the things that happened, you know, when she was still with the Empire. But that slowly does change throughout the course of the book. She stops thinking about it as much. I think she stops feeling as strongly about it. At what point do you think that Quell really ceased to be an Imperial and solidified herself as a rebel, if you think she even ever did at all? You know what? I I don't know that she totally has. In fact, that actually might make this book series, this series, a little more interesting if yeah. we see her I flip think she's, back and forth or something. Yeah, I think she's a little like Finn at this point in Force mm-hmm. Awakens. I think she's she's on this side, and I think she believes in what they're doing but i think she's still it, doing it not entirely for the reasons i think it's going to take yeah, a big loss quite, to kind of sure put that in yeah quite frankly i think she just needs to quit altogether like she needs to get out of the military and go live a peaceful life as a farmer on on, <laughs> on edu or something uh, i don't know like she should go do something <laughs> else because she's like really struggling with this whole military choose a side mm-hmm. thing and seems to be really affecting her so well yeah. i don't know if i was her psychiatrist i would you know <laughs> if you were ito <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> Wait, I don't, so i don't think erica's gonna quit but i do think that we're gonna quit just for a second to put in a UTN member break and then we're gonna come back to the bloodbath that is the discussion of alphabet squadron be back in a second hey everyone this is freddie c living force podcast producer and you may be asking hey freddie what's your favorite series in the eu and you know what my answer is rogue squadron I mean, come on, let's go over it. Luke Skywalker, check. Wedge Antilles, check. Starfighters, you got it. Battles, of course. Kissing, who knows? The only way to find out is to lock those S-foils in attack position and dive in. There's about nine books, so I recommend the Omnibus. Head to utini.com if you want more information about the series. If you have any questions for me, you can find me on Twitter at WakeUpFreddy. All right, boys, I've had my 30 seconds of fame. It's all yours. May the force be with you. And we are back. Corey, what'd you think about that clip? 
I wouldn't know, Eric, because I didn't get to listen to it. <laughs> ah, yes, normal as always. Charles? <laughs> I thought it was great. I enjoyed Thank it. Thank you. Thoroughly. I agree. I have faith in our team. Couple of shills. <laughs> Shill cast, episode 12. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, now I kind of just want to make a, a podcast called Shill Cast, weekly two minute episodes that just says, buy Disney swag, buy <laughs> Disney swag. <laughs> Go to Galaxy's Edge. Build the lightsaber. You will cry. You will cry. But we're not here to talk about Galaxy's Edge. We're talking about fighter pilots. Who's next? All right. So I still want to talk about Quell. I think there's more to say about her. And I want to kick this part off with a quote that was actually pretty heavily featured to promote the book. And it was something that Hera said to Quell. And she said, you know your squadron will fight, but will they fight for you? Do they know that you'll fight for them? So again, we're talking about Quell having to prove herself to her squadron. And I want to talk about how Quell decided to prove, <laughs> quote unquote, I know where this herself is going. to her squadron. Um, she decided to get all of their ships custom painted overnight mm-hmm. with the Alphabet Squadron logo. And then she also got that logo tattooed on her bicep. Now... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Now, she didn't prove herself in battle ever. You know, she she essentially just got inked up. And did that land with you guys? It's like a very and – and I'm serious. I, it, it did not land with me if you can't tell by how I'm phrasing this. But did, it may have landed with you. So like, I what I think. I mean, did it, fall, did it fall flat for you or did you read that scene and were you just like, hell yeah, Alphabet Squadron. Like, let's do this. No, I was not like that. I thought that was the. I thought that was what I was supposed to get out of it. But I was like, I legitimately let the book fall on my face, and was just like, "Wow, like this is so cringy." I hated it. I hated it so much. It was my least favorite scene in the entire book, and it made no sense whatsoever. <laughs> and like, she painted some logo, and like, it made a big deal about like how she had stayed up all night or something and done it. You remember that? Like, like she had not had any sleep last night so she could do this art project on the x-wings or whatever on you know the ships and then she got a tattoo which is i don't know it just why why a tattoo in artwork i I don't know i I thought it was really dumb eric as the resident tattooed person on this podcast i dug it (laughs) but also it's for a couple reasons not just because i have a tattoo it's definitely a part of it but it reminded me of kind of old military ships like a lot of and in clone wars the plows bros ink um on their gunships was there all the clone troopers customized their armor in a certain way now that i'm reading rogue squadron like wedge has all his kills painted on his thing like the painting of a ship seems to be very symbolic in the rebellion and in the all various parts of the militaries and i think that the idea of them kind of being this aimless group like the, the working group i think is what uh, Kieran Aiden called them yeah. right mm-hmm. before right. that they had just been the working group <clears throat> and I think even just the symbol does a lot I mean whenever we go around yeah, and, I mean, we, and we see like you see the rebel the rebel brand or whatever um, 501st batch you are like they all get their own patches I think for me it, it landed because it was Erica's way of saying like listen I, you think I don't believe in you and I'm not good. She's not good with words. She's not really good with people because the Empire didn't care about it. So it's kind of like her way of saying, I I do believe in you. I can't really express it as much as I want because that's not who I am. But I can make sure that we fly as a team 
And the tattoo, I mean, that is a little bit in me because I do want that tattoo now. <laughs> um, yeah, but it was it wasn't like it wasn't like look how loyal I am tattoo. It's like it's like somebody that's got like a really abusive girlfriend and like really hates them and like they're really they're really bitchy all the time and spending all their money and they're like, look, I love you. Look how much I love you. I tattooed I tattooed a heart with your name on it on my bicep. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I got. It, it felt like. Okay, out of a loyalty thing mm-hmm. or in painting the kills on your starship, that's all really fantastic. Like, I, I think that would have been great if it was done in a different context. Mm-hmm. The fact that it was done from the angle of this is how Quell proves her loyalty to the squadron, that totally fell flat for me. Because a tattoo and painting artwork on, on ships doesn't mean squat in my book. Like, that's just, I just that's I felt desperate. Like, I don't know. I felt like a couple things. I felt like her behavior did not change at all before and after the tattoo. No, and and mm-hmm. I mean, like, maybe subtly, but at most. So to me, it was just like sort of a little bit of an empty gesture. And the other thing that bothered me was this was like an intelligence working group. Like, I, <laughs> so like the, the and, and not even proven yet. Is it going to remain exactly, the alliance? Exactly. And so like, group. who's to say three of them don't get blown out of the sky and it's an entire X-Wing squadron next week. You know what I mean? But like, I just want the symbol to have some weight behind it first. Like she made it up that night. Like there was no symbol. Like she just created it and made it up like the rebel insignia has weight behind it the alphabet squadron probably Mm -hmm. will eventually but didn't at that time so that was my thought there if it was if if this was like a children's animated tv show that would have been like the key moment that she was suddenly a rebel does that make sense Mm -hmm. like that would have been the thing that all the children understood to mean that she was totally loyal and all in now and that's not what it did for me at all that's one of those things in in kids tv shows we get a lot of that in star wars that like you know, you have to roll your eyes at a little bit of the of the cringy cliche stuff in the t- kids' TV show, and that's where this was for me. I, I just really didn't like it. If Alexander Freed ever listens to this, I hope he's not in- supremely insulted by my, my thoughts on that. It just it didn't fall where it was supposed to for me. I think, and you know, it's what it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I I dug it. I'm interested interested to see if the her having the symbol on her somewhere comes up again in the other books. Yeah. So you're like ready to get a Utini tattoo, Eric? Is what <laughs> we have talked about this in Slack, Corey. You've mentioned that in jest. We're getting the evaporator. I'll get that on That's my true. ankle, man. Just get get Utini tattooed on you, but in place of the O, put in the Alphabet Squadron patch. <laughs> Wait, so it's gonna have to be like a large thing across my entire back yeah. in order to get all that detail in. I was th- I was thinking like chest, like across the pecs would be good. Oh, that because my best feature is my naked chest body. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, <laughs> so I want to wrap up Quell just by talking about how she ended up in an X-Wing. Because, again, it's Alphabet Squadron because each person was flying a different letter Starfighter. Mm-hmm. So Quell makes a point. She really does make a point in that she chose her Starfighter, the X-Wing, at total random. And she, mm-hmm. like, actively dismisses the idea that there was any kind of reason behind it that there is anything like the force that could have had a hand in it. But do you believe that it was meant to be? Was Alphabet Squadron meant to be? Or was it really just totally random and they all ended up in different ships? I don't think it was meant to be, no. I don't think that's a force thing, uh, personally. Because they do talk about how it's not like strategically advantageous to have that many different ships sure. in a squadron, right? I think that it is random to the point of... What what was available, 
You know, because they do point out that the, what is it, the A-Wing and the B-Wing are more difficult to repair because they don't have them in the fleet, really. So Mm -hmm. I think that if it was meant to be, then it would have been a little easier to maneuver around things. There would have been less trials to happen. I do think it was a matter of, I mean, obviously, if we want to go meta about it, when he was writing it, absolutely. Like, that's that's the... That's the right. draw in a writer point of view. But in the terms of the Star Wars universe, I believe in the randomness of that act, yeah. Okay. Corey, do you feel the same way? Yeah, pretty much. I don't really have a whole lot to add to that. Like, it struck me as being necessary from a writing standpoint. Like, how can you have a squadron leader not in an X-Wing? <laughs> yeah. Well, You're saying you that because you were the X-Wing. That's how it happens. That's, yeah. Whatever. So, so, it's, it's I do want to say just... On, it will on, actually... On that note, Freed had some really awesome like quotes that I just I had to write down. And so I want to share this one really quickly because it was some of Quell's thoughts about the Force. And it said, The zealots of the rebellion revered a mystical, omnipresent, and undetectable energy they called the Force, claiming its ineffable power controlled destinies. The mysteries of hyperspace were real enough for Quell. I thought that was really nice. Yeah. Uh, they did it's, talk. It's a... Yeah, sorry, go ahead, Eric. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's a really nice kind of side by side of like science and religion in star wars because like that's like the force is very much a religious analog and very much a thing and it it makes her sound kind of like a whiny like stubborn atheist which again i am one i can say that (laughs) but i think that's a cool thing of she's like no i've seen everything i need to see and it's 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 han solo too you know i've seen all these galaxies and i don't think there's some kind of mystical force connecting at all yeah yeah all right well let's move on from Quell, and let's move on to Nath Tenzent. So, basically, Nath was our Y-Wing pilot. He was part of an old squadron that was completely obliterated by Shadowing, and that left him as the sole survivor. So, um, whenever Quell tried to get him to join the New Republic, he openly refuses. He's just not going to do it. Why do you think that he refused? I think that Nath is one of those guys that hates being put in a box right because he was an imperial pilot and he grew up with the same regulations as quill did and then he left pre-alderaan right if i remember that correctly um, i think so yeah like just just barely pre-alderaan and then became essentially a pot because he was like smuggling stuff because he was doing illegal stuff is why he left not because mm-hmm. of a sense of morality and then he went off to kind of keep his head down and do his own thing i think that he's not interested in the back and forth of rebellion empire rebellion empire at least at the start so he definitely strikes me as someone you'd find on like narshada or something like that yeah nath was my favorite character in this book i um, can see that (laughs) yeah I I, i really resonate well with the the whole idea of like it comes it's not like being in it for yourself but being to a point that like you t- kind of take a step back from like the big picture a little bit of like, listen, these giant political forces that are moving are going to move without me being here. And that's kind of how I feel about my place in the world. It's, it's the DJ mentality. <laughs> like, it's the DJ mentality. It is. Well, it's not quite the DJ mentality. The DJ mentality is just like screw everybody kind of thing. I mean, like kind of like Maz Kanata, like the like I, the, this fight's been going on forever. I've seen, yeah, kind of. Yeah. And I see what you're trying to say, Charles, yeah. and I do resonate with that a lot. Like, like I stopped personally. This is not Star Wars at all. I stopped like paying really close attention to politics about two years ago, like right after the presidential election of 
2016, I guess. That a lot of been. shit has happened, Corey. How can no. <laughs> I know? I know. I know. I, I know. And Eric, the, the flaming liberal among us, we, we, we will have lots of things to say about that because we differ politically in a lot of ways, too. And yeah. It's just like I just don't really resonate. I feel like the giant machinations of the rich and powerful are going to move without me. And sure. I can't. You know, my one vote, my one place in the galaxy doesn't really have a lot of effect on those things. So, mm-hmm. like, I'm a happier person by sort of taking a step back and, you know, trying not to get too angry by everyone. Well, Corey, <laughs> and Nath is very much like that. So, yeah, Eric's right when yeah. when he said that you missed a lot. Um, the Jedi tried to overthrow the Emperor, and <laughs> um, so now that's a thing. There's, yeah, it's oh, okay. It's yeah, pretty a lot, messy. A lot has gone on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I love that about Nath. Like, like, why did he refuse? I think that's why he refused because that's his place in the galaxy. Yeah. He's just like, listen, I don't want anything to do with this. I've done that for a long time, and it it didn't. Yeah. It, all it got me was pain and suffering. Where Jin says yeah. that all the rebellions ever brought her is pain. I think that's why he left. He was just like, he didn't want anything to do. That with being anymore. said, I do think that Nath is always kind of looking for the right excuse to jump in, though. He is like Han Solo, yeah. and that's what that's what I respect about him. Is like that's why I say he's not like DJ, yeah. right? Like DJ like screwed everybody over, yeah. Okay, like and he would he, again. like betrayed him yeah. on purpose, and he would do it again in a heartbeat. Like Han Solo is not like that. Remember, mm-hmm. Kira says he's actually the good guy, and that's how I feel about everything. Yeah. <laughs> like I will make the right decision when I'm put in the in the in the position to you know do that, mm-hmm. but. I respect that Nath is is like that. He has a good moral compass. It's just sometimes it's you know kind of buried yeah. under a, a wall of something. Yeah, else. he's like, I'm not going to come help you just for pure moral reasons. But if you say the right words and like offer me money, mm-hmm. then I can yeah. say to myself, Oh, I'm doing this for money, even though down right. below it's like, exactly. cool. Now I'm finally actually able to do what I want. Right. So that's so that's a great question yeah he he was offered money and that is revealed to be the reason why at least why he said he ended up joining uh alphabet squadron right but like eric says like his what he maybe he says to himself which i i really like that right you put that eric that's probably very true right now he also though when he later in the book when they're on pandem nine and he's going after shikara nurse uh and and to recover that imperial file on quell like he has that whole thing that happens in movies and books and stories like this where you have the monologue about like you know my name is Inigo Montoya <laughs> you killed my father like Dude, all of that I stuff loved that moment yeah and he, he was basically like you killed my whole <laughs> squadron and now like I'm here to kill yeah. you and he seemed really motivated by that when early on he was claiming that that wasn't his motivation whatsoever so if you had to choose one and it sounds like I kind of know your answer already but what is Nath's true motivation to be in this squadron is it money or is it justice for his old squadron and whatever your answer is what's keeping him in the squadron moving forward given the events at the end of this book I think at the beginning of the book it's justice for his squadron hidden under the guise of money Right. Right. I think that's they definitely both play a part. And after he, he literally has the moment where he the quote I, I wrote it down, I don't have it in front of me, but it's um like Hi grandmother, you killed all my friends, we should chat. Or no, I know you're busy. I think that's what he says. It's it's yeah. it's a baller move. But then at the end of the book, I earnestly think he stays because he loves his squadron. Like he and Will become super good friends. Like they're they're mm-hmm. wingmates. Like at the at the end of the book, when Nath is like, yeah, I left to do my mission, and Will's like, 
just tell me next time. And he's like, yeah, you wouldn't have understood. And Will has that moment of like, no, I'm your wingmate. Like, I got you. And I'm willing to, but you just need to keep me in the loop. I think that Nath has finally found another sense of longing because I'm guessing he probably told himself at one point, I'll never join another squadron. Like, I won't, I won't risk losing them ever again like that. Mm. Which is why he went to the kind of underground life. And I think now he's accidentally found a family, which is another trope I really love in sci-fi is <laughs> the accidental family, right? So I think that he has gone from revenge to selfish motives to now emotional motives. I still don't think he loves the New Republic a ton. I think he could take it or leave it, but I think he would die for the members of Alpha Squadron now. Oh, you trust him way more than me. Way yep. more than me. Corey, what do you That's think? Where I am at the end. I don't think he's gonna put his life on the line for. I mean, he might. He put him under the right pressure. I think he's one of those. He's one of those characters that's wishy washy enough that it's a valid question: Is he going to? Yeah. You know. Well, I think like, there might be like a Han. twist. I think there definitely might be a moment of like Nath, you were gonna. And it's like, oh, you should like I have a Beckett esque twist, but I don't think so. But I'm also yeah, I'm also so. very Will Larky in my mind of loving people and hoping that they're not mm-hmm. mean. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that we are going to get Nath. He is going to end up being a good guy by the end, but I re- I don't think he's there yet because you're you're rolling me right into my next question, Eric. It's it's almost like you know what I'm going to say sometimes, but a little bit. So Nath is constantly trying to make connections with other people, whether it's other people that are on what is it, the Lodestar, um, Lodestar or yeah. the people in Alphabet Squadron. But it seems like it's always for a selfish reason like he he basically says like i'm friendly to these other people in case i need to call in a favor later yeah he's networking he he's networking yeah and later in the book i agree with you eric nath does start to seem like he's liking his squadron mates and i would say that he probably is closest with will but mm-hmm. does he really like them or is he just doing the same thing he's doing with everyone else where he's trying to use them? Because I will point out that he left Will hanging on Pandem Nye. Like he totally pieced out and was like, hope that my astromech can be your wingmate and keep you alive. But if he can't, maybe I'll feel bad. But uh, like he totally left Will hanging. He did. And I think that's a genuine test because at because he does say at the end of the book, he's like, cool, as far as I'm concerned... I'm done working for Aiden now. Like, I, I did my mission. I got paid. Like, because I think at the end of the day, he's still going to do the missions that he accepts. Like, he is a man of his word in that way, right? Mm-hmm. So now that that's done, that debt has been fulfilled, as it were. And I think that he now had to learn, like, oh, that did actually affect this person and this kid, essentially. That they kind of have, I'm, I'm seeing like a, like a Tony Stark, Peter Parker relationship with the two of them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that as as the next two books go on, should they all survive them, I think we'll see a little more of that protectiveness that if like Will is hurt or if Will gets kidnapped or something, Nath's going to be the one to say, all right, let's go get him kind of thing. I don't have, I don't have a good answer to this question either. I mean, I think it's, I think he is supposed to be kind of a wild card in a sense. Like we don't really know what he's going to do. And I think that's what makes him a fun character is mm-hmm. that he's unpredictable because, you know, a lot of Star Wars characters, we talked about that in, uh, like, the X-Men series. They're very predictable because they are almost cliches of superheroes, right? And Nash, or Nath is definitely not that, so. Yeah. Yeah. But what else is unpredictable is what we're going to say about Alphabet, Alphabet Squadron on next week's episode. Because we're <laughs> out of time, guys. These, these, these absolutely fly by. And we have so much more to get into with Alphabet Squadron, including... 
possibly the best character in the history of the new canon in Will Lark, <laughs> <laughs> who we will talk about with Chas and with Kairos, the badass of all badassery, and a bunch of other stuff when we get into next week's episode. But ladies and gentlemen, and gentlemen who I'm currently talking to, that'll do it for this week's episode of The Living Force. Thank you to especially Charles for putting these together every time we do one of these. The work is amazing, and the questions are great, and I can't wait to go even deeper. For our listeners, if you're new, don't forget to subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts, and tune in every week to hear us at Utini talk about the Star Wars Expanded Universe. Please leave us a review to help people find us, and head over to utini.com for reviews, articles, and comprehensive book profiles on every single story in the Star Wars galaxy, including Alphabet Squadron. If you want your thoughts on this show, email us at livingforcepod at utini.com, tweet at us at livingforcepod, or join our Utini Discord community by going to utini.com slash discord. Personally, we are all on Twitter. I am at Eric Eilerson. Corey is at DocStarWarsMD. And Charles is at C. Henkel. A special thank you to Matt Davenport, our amazing editor, Freddie, our tech wizard, and Wes, our community manager. Thank you to Corey and Charles for podcasting with me. Charles, good luck tomorrow with doctoring. And as always, may the force be with you. Bye, guys. There is no hatred. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. There is no apathy. There is passion. There is no gatekeeping. There is community. This is the Utini Star Wars Fan Code. Embrace it, live by it, and above all, trust in the living force. That's all for this week. Join our community and surround yourself with like-minded fans by visiting us online at utini.com. Until next time, may the force be with you.